There are two readings this morning from Isaiah chapter 55 and Matthew chapter 13. So Isaiah 55, starting at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And from Matthew 13, we start at verse 44, which is the the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Sue. Lord, we do pray this morning that you would indeed as we come to your word, you would be our divine instructor and that we would view our Saviour more closely. For we ask it in his name. Amen. So I have a question for you all. Is there a hoarder in your family? Perhaps you're even a bit of a hoarder yourself. Hands up anybody who's got a clear attic. Nothing in their attic at all. Yes, yes. Wow, Philippa at the back, well done. That's congratulations. There was a recent, who watches Call the Midwife? Call the Midwife, yes, it's a great program, isn't it? I don't know if you remember, there was a, pro, there was a, a, a series very recently, there was a, a lady who was a very elderly hoarder. Do you remember that? That one, yeah. Wonderfully, Annette Crosby, wonderful actress, and she played a wonderful part. But she'd so much stuff accumulated in a house that it actually become a health hazard, and the midwives had to intervene. Well, my grandmother was a bit like that. She never actually used to throw anything away unless it still had a use. I think that was probably as much born out of austerity through two world wars, living through two world wars as anything else. She lived in a rambling old house in Blackheath, South London, where I grew up. Had a marvelous, marvelous full-length cellar, which I loved to explore as a boy. It was dusty and damp and it, full of family memorabilia and odd things that had been handed down over the years. And my mother continued to live in that house long after my grandmother died. And I remember going to visit her just after Rosemary and I got engaged. 
Well, of course, I wanted to show off the jewel of great price that I just discovered and fallen in love with. Of course you do. Well, I, one thing led to another, and the conversation came round to my grandmother's habits of squirreling away stuff in secret places, not least the family jewels which had never been found. Well, one thing led to another, and we began searching around. And in the parlor, you had a parlor in those days, in the parlor there was this huge tall boy with just a gap at the top between the ceiling and the tall boy. And being tall, my mum said, well, we've never looked up there. And being tall, she said, would I stand on a chair and go and have a look and see what I could find? Well, I got on this chair and I, it was too dark to see anything. So I was like groping around. I couldn't feel anything. I extended my arm a bit and I felt something. And it was clinky. And it was a pouch. And it felt really mysterious. So I brought it down and we opened it on the parlor table and out cascaded golden sovereigns and a half-hunter watch and a beautiful sapphire pendant and various other items of jewelry. Can you imagine how we felt? We were bursting with joy and excitement. We were lost for words to express how we felt about our discovery, which had remained hidden almost in plain view for so long. One, one of the difficult things about being a follower of Christ is talking about him in everyday words because there really aren't any words that are true enough, right enough, or big enough to adequately explain, to explain how our hearts feel like bursting sometimes, to explain the mysteries of fellowship, and belonging to each other as we do, to explain how even when the worst things are happening to us, they seem to have a blessing in them, hidden away in there, somewhere. How, how can the language of earth really captivate the reality of heaven? How can words, even our wonderful living English language, adequately describe that which is truly beyond words. As Sue read in our Old Testament reading, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, say, says the Lord. So how can human beings really begin to talk about God? I know I don't do it very well. You know, talk about holy things to people who don't yet know him as a wonderful Lord and Savior. Perhaps you've had the same experiences too. It's really very difficult. So we tend to use sort of ordinary words and trust that the people we're talking to can make the connections somehow. Uh, just thinking of some of the things that I use, but I say things like believing in God is, well, it's like coming home at last. We say it's like discovering hidden treasure. I think I said to somebody once, they ask it, they said, what is it like to be born again? I said, it was like jumping off a high diving board at the spectrum and soaring up rather than going down. It's like falling in love. Suddenly everything startled, start, comes into sort of 3D focus. We struggle, we struggle to say what it is exactly. But we can say 
what it feels like. Talk in metaphors. Use comparisons that are familiar. Well, sometimes they're familiar. Other times they can be quite startling when they just tumble out. And when they do, and when that sudden expression of how we feel in the Lord, when they tumble out, that's when our everyday understanding of things gets broken up and we're invited again to explore them all over. Get inside our feelings, what we've just heard or, or said, and see what's new. Jesus, of course, did this all the time. Sinners are like lost sheep. The word of God is like a seed sown on different ground. The kingdom of God is like a wedding feast, a great banquet, a vineyard, a pearl of great price. In the passage which Sue read to us, just those five short verses, the images come very quickly, one after another, with no preparation, no explanation, no, no time for questions and answers. The kingdom of God is like buried treasure, like a fine pearl, and then if we go on to the next few verses, like a net cast in the sea. One after the other, the metaphors come out. It's quick fire stuff. And that's a bit strange because it's not really like Jesus to be in such a rush. He's usually a better storyteller. But these snapshot parables are like a or can you imagine on a train journey, you glimpse through the window, you know, the things passing by very quickly. That's, that's what they're like. He says the kingdom of heaven is like this and this and this. It's almost as if he wants us to be dazzled by the number and variety of things the kingdom is all about. And these two parables, the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price, are a pair. First comes the man who finds buried treasure in a field, covers it up, and sells all he owns to buy the field. He's a poor man who becomes a rich man through luck. Then comes the merchant who searches and finds a pearl of great price. He too sells all that he owns to buy it. He's a rich man who becomes even richer, but not through luck this time, but through diligence and skill. But rich or poor, skillful or just plain lucky, each man finds something of great price and sells all that he has to own it. Each man finds something that makes everything else he owns, everything else he owns, trivial by comparison. Each man doesn't think twice about cashing in all he has to acquire hidden treasure or a pearl of great price. So I think the question perhaps for us this morning is this. If getting into the kingdom is truly like that, then it's rare but obtainable for those who are not only willing but eager to pay the price. Taken as a whole, 
these parables are actually quite a lot to digest at one sitting. Not just the treasure hidden in the ground or the pearl hidden amongst all the other pearls that we're looking at this morning, but all the other parables of Jesus too. The mustard seed, the yeast hidden in the dough, the net hidden in the depths of the sea. But the striking thing about all these images is their essential hiddenness, their hiddenness. They're not something readily apparent to the eye. They are something we have to search for, something just below the surface of our daily lives. But nevertheless, something that is waiting to be discovered and claimed. We had a wonderful evening last night with, with Duncan Palmer, who was a very, very talented artist and just amazing to see some of his wonderful pictures. And he and I were, were talking about, I don't know whether you remember, but on Radio 4, there was a story fairly recently about the family who were clearing their grandfather's house only to discover 15 previously unknown drawings by Constable. Did anybody hear that story? Yes, a few people did, yeah. Drawings which had been gathering dust in an old cupboard for decades. Absolutely amazing. They, they uncovered this hidden treasure. And there was a similar story on the radio a few years ago about <coughs> tenant farmer Peter Watley in Sussex. He was out in his field. He lost his hammer. He called in a friend with a metal detector to help him find it. What they found buried in the ground was an oak chest full of silver spoons, gold jewelry, and coins dating back to the fifth century. The hoard was so valuable, the British Museum wanted to buy it, but they had to call in outside donors in order to be able to afford it. It really is the stuff that legends are made of. Old masterpieces gathering dust in your attic. You'd better go home today and have a look in your attics. You never know what you might find. Buried treasure troves suddenly discovered. My grandmother's jewelry hoard. All suddenly found and claimed and enjoyed amid, amid great celebration. And you see, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is just like that. Whether it begins as a treasure hidden in a field or a magnificent, flawless pearl hidden amongst a sea of lesser pearls. Because the kingdom blossoms, the kingdom blossoms when it's no longer hidden but revealed. When the treasure chest is opened, the pearl uncovered. When what was lost is found, what was secret is known. What was hidden from your view is brought forth for everyone to see. It's exciting stuff. But where to start? In a dusty old cupboard? On top of an old tall boy? Perhaps with a metal detector strapped to our backs? I mean, the question is, where do we start to look for the kingdom of heaven? These metaphors are all well and good, but when it comes down to hunting the honest-to-goodness kingdom of heaven, where do we start? It might seem that we ought to start someplace really holy, 
someplace that is out of the ordinary, like perhaps a medieval monastery, maybe translating ancient texts, the Dead Sea Scrolls, or do we go out to some foreign missionary field with tear fund or save the children? How many of you have been to the Holy Land? One or two people, yes. Maybe, we, maybe that's where we go. Undertake a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Visit Nazareth and Jerusalem. Explore the peace of the garden tomb or the pool at Bethsaida. Then again, it may not be a matter of where we look exactly, as long as we keep our ears and eyes open for extraordinary clues wherever we are. Look out for heavenly visitors. Listen out for heavenly voices. Because if the kingdom of heaven is hidden in this world, it's hidden really, really well. And we're going to need to keep our wits about us if we're going to stand any chance of finding it at all. Unless, unless of course, God has resorted to the oldest trick in the book and hidden it in plain view. There is always that possibility that God's decided to hide the kingdom of heaven not in some extraordinary place that spiritual treasure hunters would be sure to check, but in the last place that any of us might think to look, in the ordinary circumstances of our everyday lives, like a jewelry pouch gathering dust on top of a tall boy, the kingdom of heaven, all mixed up, with the day-to-day -day humdrum of our daily lives. A hidden, heartwarming treasure that sends forth a ray of radiant light when we stumble across it. Like the, the smile of a grandchild when they first wake up from a sleep. Eyes that lit up this morning when you walk through this door maybe even a shaft of sunlight that pierces dark clouds on a dull day. All these, all these are signs of the kingdom of heaven, clues to the holiness hidden in the dullest of our days. And Jesus knew that all along. Why else would he talk about heaven in terms of farmers and fields and merchants buying and selling things, and fishermen sorting fish. Unless, unless he just meant somehow to be telling us that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven has to do with these ordinary humdrum day-to-day -day things. That our treasure is buried not in some far-off exotic experience or spiritual experience, but right here, right now, in all the ordinary places and people and activities of our daily lives. If we want to speak about heavenly things, Jesus seems to be saying, we should begin to speak about earthly things. And if we want to describe that which is beyond words, we should begin with words we know, like man and fields and hidden treasure and pearls.
Because if the kingdom of heaven is like these things, then these are the places to go digging for the kingdom of the heaven. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, says the psalmists. These are the places to look for the will of God, for the presence of God, and for the grace of God. So if we can't help each other to uncover kingdom treasures like these, discover together the secrets of kingdom living, the inexpressible joy which we sang about earlier, right here, right now, that I'm going to suggest we'll never find them anywhere else. For earth is where the seeds of heaven are sown, and their treasure is the only one worth having. The family treasure that Rosemary and I uncovered our mum's house was exciting, but it pales to insignificance compared to the treasure I discovered when I walked through those doors a few years ago. Turn these parables around and there is a deeper sense, a sense that Jesus is the merchant and we are in his eyes, in his eyes of love, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price. And to purchase us, he's renounced everything he had, surrendered everything he was, so that we too can echo in our hearts Paul's words to the Philippians. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Amen. <clears throat>